Hello, this is Brittany Ross from Fiddle and Pipe. I'm sure most of y'all are aware of the ongoing war in Ukraine. You will see in the show notes that we have listed several organizations to help the Ukrainian people. To, if you would like to help out and contribute, please check out those show notes. And for the month of March, we will be donating 100% of our proceeds on Patreon to the International Committee of the Red Cross, which if you want to join us on Patreon, you can find us on patreon.com slash fiddleandpipe. We hope you'll either support us on Patreon as we donate to the International Committee of the Red Cross or check out the show notes and pick an organization that you would like to donate to. Thanks, and now back to the episode. Hi, I'm Brittany Ross, and I play the fiddle. I'm Catherine Blencham, and I play the pipe. And together, we are Fiddle and Pipe. Two classical musicians who are reading and discussing topics beyond the staff. So grab a book, take a seat, and tune in. I'm recording, so like whenever y'all want to record, it's check, fine. Check, check, one, two. All right, I am recording. Check, check, one, two. I am recording. Unique New York. <laughs> the arsonist has oddly shaped feet. Unique New York. That's hard. I'm just amazed that Bartok and Bakri are being quiet. Check, 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 check. I hope they stay quiet. Did they have coffee this morning? Well, Bakri was screaming earlier. Screaming? Like, what was she screaming about? Just bored. Bored. (laughs) Just bored. The life of having a husky mix. I know. They just have so much energy. All dogs do. You know how it be. I know. My cat has no energy. She's a sloth, I swear. She's like been sleeping for like the last, I want to say, 12 hours. She has not left her basket. Nice. <laughs> I've not seen her leave her basket. Does Lacey like doing nothing? She likes to sleep. Hey-o. And then she likes to beg for food when you're in the kitchen. So almost doing nothing. Almost doing nothing. Which, speaking of doing nothing, that's what go. we're reading right now. Yay! <laughs> Awesome segue. See, I'm awake. This is my second cup of coffee right now, you guys. Like, I am awake and ready to go. The last time we recorded and you had two cups of coffee, you were like real amped. So (laughs) I'm a little concerned. I normally listen to my podcasts at like (laughs) double speed so I can get through all of them faster because I listen to so many. Same. And there was one where you had some extra coffee and I could not understand what you were saying (laughs) listening to double speed so I had to slow it down. (laughs) So... I am very impressed because I know that I cannot speak that fast in double time. I'd probably be like, bleh, bleh, bleh. <laughs> you're like, wait a second. That, what? Yeah, it was impressive. What am I saying? So, Catherine, can we keep it together for an hour? We can keep it together for an hour today. Just one hour. I will put a timer on just in case. So going back to our transition that we tried to do before we got distracted, today we are reading Do Nothing by Celeste Headley, and we read the first few chapters of it. What are y'all's initial thoughts about this book? Because not going to lie, I read the intro and I was not digging it at first. Ah. I liked it. The opening, I don't know what you call where they have like a little quote at the beginning of a chapter. Is that an epigraph or am I completely... Is an epigraph not a graph? I don't think so. Uh, anyway, they have a quote from Bertrand Russell, who I am a huge fan of. He's a big town ball and philosopher from way back in the day. So as soon as I saw that, I was like, okay, I'm going to like this book. It's going to be good. And, and so far, I'm enjoying it. Epigraph was right, by the way. Boom. Did you just look it up? Yeah. I got it confused with a seismograph, just in case anyone wanted. I was like, "Isn't that the That's one with the?" That's measuring earthquakes, right? Yeah, yep. I was like, "Isn't that the one with like the arm that goes like all crazy?" Yep. Nope. No. Um, I'm a musician. I'm not an epigraphologist. Epigraphagus. Epigraphologist. Definitely. Epigraphosaur. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so complicated. The part of the intro that rubbed me the wrong way was, I don't know. I feel like she really takes on a stark perspective really fast. And I think it's just to drive the point home that we work too much. Basically the whole gist of the intro is that we take a lot of shortcuts in life and we work too much. And we take a lot of these shortcuts to save time so we can work more. And 
sometimes we speed up unnecessary things. And one of the examples that she uses is people who use medication for depression instead of just having physical exercise. And I was like, "Mm, no, there are some people who actually need medication and that's okay. And that's fine. And I don't really think that should be shamed. And obviously exercise and living a healthy lifestyle will help. But I think for some people, it's not like a cure-all. So I understood the point of saying, oh, well, like, you know, there's some people who might have mild depression who if they just put on their shoes and went for a run, they'd be fine. And maybe that's the case with some people, but there are also some people who really need it. Yeah, And sure. that example yeah. kind of rubbed me the wrong way. And I think it kind of put me off the intro, to be completely honest. I didn't expect the format and the writing to be what it is actually in the introduction because it's very casual in a way like we work too much and whatnot and Celeste Headley kind of explains her experiences overworking and whatnot and Mm -hmm. I don't know it was just really interesting because it feels like it's an opposite turn compared to what we were reading with Atomic Habits yeah because with Atomic Habits we were talking about creating ways to make things easy for ourselves, to like do daily things that we wanted better ourselves and whatnot. And this book is more like we overwork, we need to rest. The tone is different and it's not what I expected out of this book, but I do like it. I think there's some really interesting points that she brings up. I do think that the first couple chapters, it feels like I'm in a world history class, <laughs> which I did not expect. I got that vibe too, and Rainer and I were talking before we started recording, and I was flipping through the back of the book, and I realized that she has a work cited in the back mm-hmm. of her book, which I guess makes sense because she was citing all these studies and stuff, but presenting it very casually. So I was like, did she actually do yeah. research? And I looked in the back, and I'm like, oh, wait, she actually did a bunch of research. It is very casual, but I was like, okay, this is like history that, you know, if somebody is not super history, like, enthusiastic and went on and have trouble. Yeah. This is something that they could probably understand a little bit more, it seems like, which I thought was pretty neat. So she opens up the introduction by saying that we, if y'all didn't get this from the first 10 minutes of our recording, we work too much. And we work too much in every single aspect of our life. We spend our weekends answering work emails. We willingly work overtime for our employers. We, what was the Instagram example? We make our images basically Photoshop to make them look better to get positive mm-hmm. affirmation from people. And mm-hmm. she talks about the cult of efficiency. Have we seen this in another book? Because I have seen this term before. Have we? Maybe I'm wrong. <laughs> I don't know. It's also that epigraph at the beginning of the chapter Seismograph. by Bertrand, yeah, by Bertrand <laughs> Russell. He talks about the cult of efficiency and he wrote that back in the 30s yeah basically yeah this book is talking about a lot of the stuff that he talked about in the essay he wrote where she pulled that that quote from which i think is very telling that you know almost 100 years later there's still people talking about how we're overworking and not even just overworking the takeaway i got was that we transitioned from doing work for a reason to making Mm -hmm. like work is the end goal we work yeah. just because we feel yeah. like work to make is ends what we're meet supposed to do yeah so it's mm-hmm. no longer i'm gonna do this thing because i have this goal in mind it's i'm gonna work because i think that's what i have to do and there is really no end goal in mind it's just work for the sake of work right yeah do you want to read the quote at the beginning that you sure. love so much yeah <laughs> it kind of is this book in a nutshell Yep, so this is from Bertrand Russell in his essay, In Praise of Idleness. It will be said that while little leisure is pleasant, men would not know how to fill their days if they had only four hours of work out of the 24. Insofar as this is true in the modern world, it is a condemnation of our civilization. It would not have been true at any earlier period. There was formerly a capacity for lightheartedness and play, which has been, to some extent, inhibited by the cult of efficiency. The modern man thinks that everything ought to be done for the sake of something else and never for its own sake. And that's basically the intro. We work too much. Mm -hmm. And I really like that she 
doesn't put the blame on technology, which I think is a new and novel concept in these self-help books, because a lot of books, you saw this in Subtle Art, Not Giving a Fuck, you saw this in Atomic Habits, blamed technology to an extent, especially social media, for, Mm -hmm. you know, just being shallow, I guess. But it doesn't blame technology. This book says that technology is basically adding to a pre-existing problem. Like the problem of overworking and overdoing to the point where we are minimizing our leisure time has been an issue and technology has just made it worse instead of technology is the problem. Yeah, I want to share this because I feel this a lot and I've felt this a lot lately. And when I was reading that quote yesterday, it really hit me because when I do have time off, I feel really guilty because I feel like I need to work. I've been working so much, especially within the last few years, to where it's like, if I have any kind of time off, I'm doing something wrong. I need to be working, I need to catch up. And I see a lot of that on social media because I follow a lot of creators, I follow a lot of people that are their own freelancers and whatnot. And when I see them like saying, oh, I do this work, I do this, I do that. I sit there and I'm like on my couch with like 90 Day Fiance playing in the background. I'm like, it's my day off. (laughs) I feel like I should be doing some social media planning. I feel like I should be creating ideas for future content. I feel like I should be doing some more marketing or something for my flute studio. I always feel like I should be doing more work. And it's come to the point where it's been more harmful than helpful and productive. And it has driven me crazy. (laughs) But that's what I really liked about this intro because in a way... Celeste Headley is kind of like calling me out (laughs) or maybe some of us out there that kind of relate in a way where we like overwork and we fill up that time where we do have off with more work and it's insane because I never used to do that. (laughs) I used to have days off and enjoy myself and enjoy my life and be social and within the last few years I haven't been able to do that and I think this is why I really like this book. I'm glad that we're reading this book because it kind of hits home yeah, really hard. <laughs> I felt the same way. I'm a very high energy person and I'm someone who thrives under stress to the point where I will purposefully procrastinate and put stuff off because I just function better when I have a deadline. I just can't manage my time. So I need to stress myself out to do it. Yeah, I do think the concept of leisure for the sake of leisure being so vilified in our culture has been a problem for a long time. That's that's what she talks about as well. And the, the fact that being an overworker, working all the time, constantly having to be doing something, reaching some goal, is seen as and some sort of extreme virtue. And It's messed up. Yeah, yeah, it is. You know, you ought to be able to go outside and take a walk and just enjoy yourself. You don't have to count your steps. You don't have to be you know, logging in your journal that you did this, this, and this to reach this. Stop. Oh, stop, stop, stop. Looks like she needs some chamomile tea. Oh my gosh. Some decaf. Uh, it's just because we're sitting out here and we're not playing with her. So she's real distressed right now. <laughs> no, I totally get that though. Not to minimize people who work a nine to five job because I think there are different struggles with that. But I think it's especially hard for those of us who are freelance because we always do need to be working. Mm-hmm. I don't have time yeah. off. If I'm not practicing or, I mean, if I'm thinking just music alone, not even anything to do with this podcast, the hours and hours of hours that go every week into editing this podcast and reading for this podcast and taking notes for this podcast. If I'm just talking about music and if I'm not practicing or gigging or driving to a gig or teaching students or clinicing at a school... I'm looking shit up or I'm doing something for this podcast. Mm-hmm. I don't stop working. I guess my high energy self is really good for that, but it does take a toll on me because sometimes I don't feel like I have time to exercise or to read. David and I started reading a lot during COVID and most nights I read for like one to two hours before bed and I've stopped editing during that time. I will just read and I found that really nice and Unless I have things that are absolutely pressing, I've started making more time to exercise and taking Valkyrie on a, I can't say the word because she's right here and I don't want to make her excited, but (laughs) the thing with the leash and you take them outside and you, 
She knows she what I'm knows. talking about. <laughs> yeah, you're very pretty. Yeah, but I think it's really important to take time out of your day and take care of yourself. And then it's also hard for people who I take David, for example. He has to be in his office by 8 and he leaves at 5.30. So he's gone from oh. like 7.15 in the morning until 6.30 at night working that's like 11 hours that's 11 hours and that's his day so sometimes he comes home and he's too tired to cook or he's just like i only have the mental capacity to like play a game on the switch or read or hang out with me for just like three hours that he has left in his day before he's tired and has to repeat the same shit it is amazing how much driving an hour to work and driving an hour home from work like just sitting in the car having to endure that how much energy that takes out of you because i used to do that it sucks it's so draining the thing is is like he loves his job so he doesn't mind it but at the same time like i see the toll that it takes on him and then i also see the toll that it takes on me so regardless of what career path you take whether it is a nine to five or freelance there are pros and cons of both and i think you're going to struggle with this concept of overworking regardless of what path you take in life and I think that's kind of the reason why I liked it too is because it's relatable to me and my lifestyle but I think it's good for anyone to read I don't know if you guys have heard of this I've only seen this on Instagram but have you heard of the 32 hour work week act Mm -mm. I'm assuming it's similar to the four day work week movement that's been going around for a while yeah, apparently, like, that was, like, a recent thing that they were trying to pass through, like, Congress or something or, like, bring up in Congress. I really have no idea. I found it on Instagram. I haven't really heard anything since, but I think that's, like, a neat idea. But the only thing is I feel like that only really benefits people that have 9-to-5 jobs. <laughs> like, I don't think that really applies to, like, freelancers or teachers maybe have to, like, work a little extra to make sure that kids are caught up or whatnot. I don't know. It's just interesting to me. Yeah, I'm a firm believer in the four-day work week. I think it's really Mm -hmm. beneficial, but I have thought of before. It's like, I already work seven days a Mm -hmm. week. It's really rare that I take a full day. I'm not working a full work day all seven days. I'm not working eight-hour days all seven days. You know, five, four or five days a week, I'll work eight-ish hours. And then on the weekends, I might work one to three, depending on what I have to do. But... If there was a four-day work week, I'd probably still be working seven days a week. One of the things she talks about in here that may apply to what you're talking about, she gave an example that kind of hit home with me because I did something similar in a different round. She talks about if you want to learn to swim and you watch a bunch of videos and DVDs and you read a bunch of books and you talk to a bunch of people about swimming, but the one thing you never do is actually get in the water and like learn to swim Mm -hmm. she's like you've done a lot of work you've spent a lot of hours quote-unquote working but how much have you actually progressed and actually done anything and that kind of hit home with me because when i first started learning to play the guitar that was pretty much me like i signed up to a bunch of like online classes and i watched a bunch of youtube videos (laughs) and like how to play guitar and how to do this different chords and how to take care of your guitar whatever it is And the one thing that I did very little of is actually picking up my guitar and practicing to begin with. So maybe there's some areas you could examine where it's like, okay, I am doing a lot of work, but how much am I actually accomplishing? Yeah, the work smarter, not harder. And we talked about that too in Atomic Habits, the part of the third law, making it easy, motion versus action, how motion was prepping yourself to do the thing signing up for swimming lessons, finding your pool, etc. And action was actually doing the thing. It's interesting that I feel like Atomic Habits and Do Nothing, I feel like they're two sides of the same coin. Yeah. I feel like Atomic Habits is how to do habits and what you want to do better and smarter. And Do Nothing is how to enjoy your extra time better. Yeah, and they're yeah. going back to the four-day work week thing we we're talking about. There have been several countries. So um, Belgium actually was the yeah. Belgium <laughs> recently, in the last couple of weeks, enacted a four-day work week, and there have been several other countries that have either implemented it or have done like trial runs. Mm-hmm. And what they're finding in pretty much every single example that efficiency and productivity has skyrocketed by reducing the number of days or the amount of hours that people have 
to do the work they're assigned to do. They mm-hmm. find that they're just more efficient. It works better all around for everybody. And there's even studies that show even if you increase the length of the workday to 10 hours, but still keep it to four days, people are more productive and are happier because people don't want to waste their time at work. That's what Belgium's doing, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. They're basically, you still have to work at least 38 hours, but you can squeeze that into four days instead of five. Mm-hmm. I'd much rather do that. I mean, even in my oh, teaching yeah. schedule, I teach most evenings of the week, but I prefer to have one day that's longer. So at least on the other days, I get off at a more reasonable time and I can enjoy more of my evening. I would much rather be heavy stacked on one day than medium stacked on all days. Yeah, same. Since we're alluding to a lot of this book, we should probably just slide right from the intro into the first chapter. Mind the gap. And we ain't talking about no thigh gap here. Because I'm almost 30 and that thigh gap does not exist anymore. (laughs) You have a whole year. Come on. I mean, it's basically there. Let's be honest. (laughs) So I have a question for you guys. Since y'all are musicians. Aren't you a musician? Well... No, y'all are like real musicians. Rainer, don't discount Only yourself. Only I just play no. one on TV. But it's for, the second sentence there says, for a musician, pace is the speed and rhythm of a piece of music. Is the word okay. pace? I had a lot to say about that because she's wrong. That's what I was thinking. I was like, I don't think that's right. Okay, so this is our first section of Mind the Gap. Let's start with a conversation about pace. For a musician, pace is the speed and rhythm of a piece of music. For all of us, pace is the speed and rhythm of our lives. Fast pace generally has a good connotation in the modern world, and there's certainly nothing wrong with getting things done quickly. And while she's right, and I agree with everything in that sentence, I don't agree with the second sentence. Pace is tempo. That's it. The f- <laughs> she's thinking of like how rhythm can drive a piece of music, and you can see that especially in dance music. But that's just mm-hmm. the feeling and the style of the piece. That's not pace. That's not tempo. I got really miffed about that. Yeah, I was I was curious if y'all would yeah. comment on that. And yes, yes, you did. I looked her up. <laughs> so some background information about Celeste. She is, it seems primarily white with some ancestry that is black and Jewish. So she's mixed race. Her grandfather was William Grant Still. That is so cool. I did not know that was her grandfather. There was a really interesting tidbit that she talked about. Her great-grandmother was Carrie Still Shepperson. She said that that was her ancestor. That was like her first free ancestor from slavery. I guess her parents were enslaved. But Carrie Still Shepperson, her great-grandmother, taught at a school... The Union School in Little Rock, Arkansas, which was the first school for African-Americans in Little Rock, or I guess in Arkansas in general. And Arkansas. (laughs) But the composer Florence Price actually went to that school, which I thought was really interesting because I was like, oh. (laughs) Brittany, if you could, I, of course, know who Mr. Still is, but for everybody else... who has never heard that name before. Could you fill us in on exactly who he is? So William Grant Still was a black American composer. I believe he did most of his compositions in the early 1900s. He was the first black person to conduct a professional symphony orchestra in the U.S. Mm -hmm. I actually remember when I was a librarian for the Georgia Symphony, they did a, a black concert like filled with music composed by black people and one of his pieces was on it and i had to mark bowings and copy one of his pieces yeah i played his afro-american symphony before covid back in february 2020 ah yeah right before it hit and and apparently one of the things that celeste does is oh my god Hi, Valkyrie Chill. I looked her up on Wikipedia just to kind of get a background on who she was and what she does. And in her professions, it's like public speaker, podcaster, blah, 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 singer. And she was talking a little bit about music and composition in her book. So I was like, what? (laughs) And I saw Still, and I was just like, hmm. Well, now that I look at her great-grandmother's name, Carrie Still Shepherdson, I'm like... Makes sense. Wow, Okay. Yeah. Um, so that's pretty cool. I didn't look that far into it, but that's really neat. Also, I'm going to say this book is politically speaking pretty liberal. So when I saw that she was born in the 60s, I was kind of surprised. We can talk about this more later, but the whole anti-work movement has a lot of roots in like anarcho-socialism. 
sort of stuff. Yeah, so. I think named that movement did it a disservice because mm-hmm. it's not an anti-work movement. It's more like a work reform. Capitalism. Like, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like, hey, this is yeah. the way things are, and this is how they probably should be. Let's change things, not just stop working altogether. Yeah, it's like modern day labor yeah. reform. Mm-hmm. essentially this first chapter so what gap are we minding it's obviously not the thigh gap because old what gap are we minding class the class gap is that what you just that's said that's what i was thinking the oh no you're gap. calling us the class you all are the class although she just talk about the, the she does the talk class about classism in here wasn't she talking about minding the gap between two activities being more leisurely when it comes to methods of travel and not always rushing things that we want to do. For example, she talks a lot about traveling for business and stuff and how she would be running from point A to point B. And she definitely had a shout out in there to the Atlanta airport. And I was like, thanks. Atlanta airport sucks. And she talks about walking from (laughs) terminal to terminal instead of taking the plane train. It does have the cool art installations if you've ever yeah. have if you have, have one, which it? I have before. It takes like half an hour to get from one end to the mm-hmm. other, but there is actually some pretty cool. It's really neat. Whenever I get there with enough time, I would much rather walk to my terminal instead of taking the plane train. Mm. Although I do like the plane train. <laughs> I've only been able to do it once. The plane train is fun, but Hey, as an yeah. alpha. She was like, when I walk from terminal A to terminal B, I was like, girl, you were definitely flying Delta, you fancy. <laughs> but she just says that we should go slower with the things we enjoy and sometimes we take our urge to make everything just quick and fast and that even Mm -hmm. we take that approach to things that should be more leisurely the example that she uses pretty frequently is just taking a hike we're frequently like we gotta go there we gotta go there at this time we gotta do this thing oh shit we have to meet grandma for lunch in an hour okay let's do this really fast come on let's go let's go and so i'm going like hey that's that's just (laughs) Let's just go for a hike. Let's just do a thing. And it's okay to be leisurely and not have that sense of constantly rushing to get things done. When I was reading this, I felt very called out because I am very much like that. If I have to teach in the morning at a school, but I also have to go to the grocery store after, and then I have to teach after, and then I have to do something after that, I will go to the grocery store at 7 in the morning. (laughs) I've just been so frantic. But then when I was reading this yesterday, I did something different. When I woke up, I sat down and I read for two hours. It felt weird. It felt very nice and calm. I kind of just spent time for myself. Lacey keeps bugging me. I know that you exist. Sorry, she just keeps climbing up on me. Show her. She's like climbing up my leg. But (laughs) it just felt weird because I was like, wow, is this what it's like to feel this way? Because I knew that I had other things to do yesterday, but I just decided to start out reading and I felt really calm. Even when I had things to do yesterday and see angsty middle schoolers at 3 p.m. and they don't want to play flute, so. But I felt calm even when I was teaching them. I don't do it all the time because just sometimes it's not possible, but whenever I start the morning with a cup of coffee and exercise or reading, I tend to be in a better headspace for the rest of the day. Waking up and doing the dishes because our dishwasher's still broken. Thanks, COVID. Oh, no. So making sure my lunch or David's lunch is set up, making sure the animals are good, making sure Fat Fig has his medication. Sometimes if I could just get up and read or get up and exercise, it's really nice. Don't you yeah. get up and read a lot? Typically. That's your routine, right? Yeah. Yeah, I'll usually get up and read that a little bit. That just sounds so nice, Rainer. <laughs> Well, you know, some things that Celeste said in this book really hit home with me. And it's, it's something that I've start, I started applying a couple months ago. I found myself reading, not because I enjoy to read, but because I had this huge list of books that I felt I had to get through. So I was reading just so I could tick them off of a box. And I found myself not enjoying stuff as much. Mm-hmm. And when I finally like realized I was doing that, I took a step back. and I was like, okay, you don't have to read. I, you know, I, I put a goal of reading a hundred books this year. That's ambitious. I do, but <laughs> will I get as much enjoyment out of those books than if I bump it back and only read 80 books this mm-hmm. year? Only 80. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that's something that I implemented 
several months ago is starting to read more for enjoyment, which is the reason I started reading to begin with, instead of you have to read this many books in this many days and have to tick them off your list. And, and it probably pays off because since you are reading more for enjoyment, you actually find yourself reading more. Oh, for sure. Instead yeah. of like, I need yeah. to get through this book. It's been three days. I'm Because Goodreads shows you if you're behind or on schedule or ahead of your book goal. So you're like, oh, I'm two books behind. I really need to finish this today so I can start my next book. Very aware, yes. Yeah. <laughs> One thing she talks about in this chapter that I really enjoyed was the slow food movement. It started in Italy, apparently, when a McDonald's was built in the 1980s in some historic square. And everyone was just like, no, no convenience. Let's make things slow and historic. So this guy who invented the movement, I forgot his name, basically handed bowls of penne to everyone. It was Carlo Petrini. <laughs> Sounds Italian. That's what I wrote. Mm. Carlo Petrini. And it was basically made to emphasize doing things slowly to find the value in, in this case, like making food, having sit-down meals with family and friends. And how I was talking about earlier, how sometimes David comes home and he doesn't want to cook, you know, from a long day at work. And sometimes I'm in the same boat. Like some days I'm up and I have to be at a school at eight something and I'm there till four. And then I come home and I have to teach for three hours that's like a 12 hour day right there. And then I have to cook on top of that. No, thank you. But Dave and I read together, like we're reading Percy Jackson right now. So we'll cook together and sometimes make it fast or sometimes we're like, yeah, we're just going to hang out and enjoy each other's company. So I'll sit there and read and he'll cook, even though these things can be stressful and sometimes, and they're not the always the most convenient or the quickest. I don't ever regret doing that. Like I don't ever regret making food or hanging out with David or having a meal with friends or anything. I think there's a lot of merit to doing things slowly for the sake of enjoyment. Hey, you look kind of peppy. I am peppy because I just drank a cup of coffee from La Belle Rosette Espresso and Wine Bar. That's in Denver, right? Yep. We are located right across the street from the University of Denver. And do they have more than just espresso and wine? Yeah, we have breakfast burritos, paninis, pastries, teas. We have a lot. If someone was walking through Denver and let's say this person was me and let's say I wanted a panini, when is LaBelle open so I can go and get one? We are open from 7 to 5 Monday through Friday, 7 to 2 on Saturdays, 8 to 2 on Sundays. And if you use the code FPPODCAST, you'll get 15% off your order, whether you're in store or online at LaBelleRosette.com. That's a really good deal. Totally a good deal, and it's even a better deal when you get to see moi at the store. Is that a good deal? Uh, not really, but I actually need to head to work right now because I'm going to be late. Oh. So I'm going to go. Go to La Belle Rosette. Go. Bye. Right now. Drop <laughs> everything. Go. What I really liked is how she said that if we don't consciously choose to do things slowly, then we're most likely to default back to like that pedal to the metal kind of pace life. I definitely think in a way she's right. And also what was really interesting is she referred to we keep pace with our environment, which reminded me of Atomic Habits in a way, because how our environment shapes our habits, Mm -hmm. this is kind of the same idea. Like, I guess like if we constantly put ourselves in this like fast paced track and we keep thinking of it that way and we keep living our life like that way we're not gonna live slowly like that we want to I guess and I'm kind of guilty of not choosing to you know slow things down in my own life I've been very guilty of that it's hard to choose to kind of like sit back and enjoy the time with sometimes like I'll choose to spend time with Woody instead of practicing because I always have this thing in my head that says you need to practice if you have some spare time practice your instrument you have this deadline happening and this other deadline happening it's good to just get this done now but yesterday I was just like no I'll just like hang out with Woody have some lunch with him talk enjoy conversation with him before he goes off to work and I won't see him until like I don't know 11 o'clock today yeah. So I know because he works <laughs> late on Thursdays. In the past, I've actively chosen not to do stuff like that. And I don't know, taking a moment to really choose how can I just like spend some time with like somebody that I love or live with and, you know, just enjoy this free time together versus 
going practicing your instrument, going and doing social media work, all that junk. I feel like I'm getting called out in this book, and I really <laughs> like it. It's like, thanks. Thanks, Celeste. I appreciate it. <laughs> everyone feels a little called out by this book. So I guess we can chug into chapter two. It starts with a steam engine. <laughs> chug in. Yeah, chug like a train, like chick a chick a chick, like a locomotive, like a twain. Nice. You always know the hallmark of yeah. a good joke is when you have to explain it. Yeah. <laughs> I'm basically should be a dad at this point in my life. (laughs) (laughs) So you were talking about history lessons earlier. This whole chapter was real heck of beefy. I felt like I was back in 2008 (laughs) in my world history class. Yeah, it's real fucking dense. So we start (laughs) out this chapter with some studies that show that our idea of working 40 hours a week every week started in the industrial revolution and apparently before that everyone had a million days off and holidays and like everything right? was like fucking fine and dandy okay what was funny was when she said the first paycheck dates back to five thousand years it's probably for sex to a city in iraq and it was basically in exchange for labor someone was paid in beer and i thought that was hilarious <laughs> I, definitely, I definitely thought that sex was the first job that was paid for like Profession. prostitution yeah probably i thought it would be something else like grains or bread or something not beer like do this work and i'll give you some bread or do this work and i'll give you my cow not do this work and i'll give you some beer people are always down to work a little bit for booze also beer and wine and alcoholic beverages back in the day people used to drink that instead of water because a lot of them didn't have access to clean water source Mm-hmm. So they knew yeah. that there wasn't going to be whatever microbes or bacteria in the beer, so they would drink beer instead of ice cool glass of ice water. What a time to be alive! Mm. It's amazing that not everyone just died of alcoholism. Your livers <laughs> must have been so healthy. Oh, for real. He talks in this chapter a lot about how modern day people get x amount of vacation days off and they don't use them so they essentially just work for free before the industrial revolution we had oh gosh she had a few examples she said was it the greeks or the greeks had like 60 holidays people in the medieval times worked like eight hour days and had like a third of the year off because of religious holidays and whatnot could you imagine Also, I liked how she said, oh, it's on page 17, human life parallel to that of birds because everyone, their day started at sunrise and ended at sunset. (laughs) Yeah, because when it got dark, you couldn't really do that much. And we all kind of find ourselves doing that when the power goes out. We're like, well, what do you do? You just, you light a candle and you read or you play a board game or Mm -hmm. something. But yeah, it was really the two inventions of the steam engine and electricity that screwed us over as far as work goes. So with the <laughs> steam engine, basically we're like, wow, that goes heckin' fast. And then we're like, wait, what if we put this on other things? And then we just started like mechanizing everything to go faster, which turned out more products. Lawyers were really like, oh, we don't need to wait for all these people and we have this many resources. So now we can just kind of keep working and keep extending. And then especially when you have electricity and people can see more, you know, you can work into earlier during the day or later into the night. It's great. I like having a computer, but it really fucked us over. <laughs> <laughs> I liked how she talked about how like small businesses are like glass blowers tinkers like small craftsmen like lost their jobs and basically went to factories to work because they couldn't compete with factories i was like oh that's so sad it's kind of like today yeah and then the employers started providing all the tools so then if we keep using glass bars as the example they would sell their tools so then they couldn't go back and do their own thing and then Mm -hmm. when we moved to cities and gave up our land we gave up a certain amount of power to employers and to governments so giving up supplies, giving up land, fucked us over more. Yeah, it talks about this is the point where time became money. You know, time is money. I'm sure you've all heard that phrase. Employers, they didn't make money from having a quality product. It was more volume-based. Like, so it was no longer, I'm going to make this one cool glass vase and make a bunch of money off of that. It's, I'm going to make 
a thousand vases. I think it's boss. Using this. Yeah. Oh, excuse me. Vases. Boss? Oh, oh I say vase. <laughs> no, I say vase too. I'm oh. just being an ass. Are you all right? Oh. My microphone almost fell over. <laughs> anyway, they, when they got to the point where it's volume over, you know, quality necessarily. Well, she does say over quality and for some things. Yeah. Yeah, quality went down because we didn't care as much. We didn't take as much pride in our work. And at that point, it's just turning shit out. Oh, just clocking in, clocking out. It's another work day. Another yeah, day, well, another dollar. One skilled worker <laughs> making one vase a day when you could have 10 workers making 1,000 vases a day and shipping them off to people. You, they're not as good, but you can make more money because you have higher volume. Kind of going back to what you said, Rainer, I think in the very early part of this episode, when people stopped caring so much when they didn't have to do stuff for themselves. And that's really when we stopped caring, when it was just doing shit for an employer and just to get another paycheck, just so we can put it into the cogs of the barter system that we've made up. That's really what led to the downfall because when it was, we were doing stuff for ourselves when we were a more agricultural-based society and before the Industrial Revolution when we were... Like, oh, I have to milk my cow. I have to till my fields. I have to feed my family. All these things. You're doing it to better yourself and your family. And now the way that we better ourselves and our family is by getting money, getting paycheck. Just just do the job, get mm-hmm. the money. If we have kids, like providing them like a good education, making sure that we have like a good place to live, all that stuff. It's. I feel like that's what we're more concentrated on. We're not yeah. so much concentrated like on the work itself. Because we don't care. We just want the paycheck. And that's really what it comes yeah. down to. And that's the biggest difference is all these things have basically allowed for employers and businesses and corporations to exploit workers. Because now we don't really care about the work. We just want the money. So we can put it towards things that we care about, like our family or education or fancy car whatever whatever you want to buy in case this chapter was not beefy enough i looked up a bunch of like labor reform shit in the u.s i don't know did y'all have to read upton sinclair's the jungle in high school Mm -hmm. no it was written in like 1906 or something and it's about the meatpacking industry and how just Mm -hmm. fucking disgusting it was it was a book used to progress the ideas of socialism and how immigrants were just completely exploited and just put in inhumane working conditions. And it led to a lot of labor reforms and reforms, especially in like the meatpacking industry to meet current health standards. But in the U.S. alone, we have a lot of labor reform and most of it happened way later than we think it would. Like the first big labor movement happened in the very late 1800s and it was like train labor unions because you know, in the late 1800s when the Industrial Revolution and the steam engine, hence the train and locomotive reference earlier with the, the choo-choo and the choo-choo. We were building train tracks for all the way from like east to west and north to south. A lot of people, especially immigrants, especially Asian immigrants, died being overworked, mm-hmm. being in hostile conditions and not properly cared for and they led to a lot of early labor unions and that was like our first thing in the u.s we didn't really think about the exploitation of the worker until the 1880s 1890s one thing she mentions it's very sad but also not surprising at all is the first child labor laws being enacted i guess mid to late 1800s no child labor child labor was yeah, well, yeah, yeah child labor. I feel like it still happened in the early 1900s. Too. Child labor was yeah, banned in 1930. I think she was talking about in in England or Great Britain, not not here. But they were saying they enacted those child labor laws not because they wanted you kids know, to be safer, a better life for their kids, but because so many kids were dying on the job, they were afraid that they wouldn't have. The next generation to come up and run these machines and do all the work everyone was going to die so they're like okay we gotta stop killing all of our kids so that they can grow up uh to work our factories for us that's so messed up mm-hmm. yeah and then you have how the u.s kind of dabbled in i'm gonna say a bad word here socialism 
Yeah, yeah, scary. Oh no. In the 1920s, the roaring 20s was like a wild, wild time to be alive. (laughs) People were really fucking rich because they weren't afraid to be exploited. And some people were starting to wake up and realize that they were being exploited. So you have more labor unions. You have more people from like 1900 forward who are like, hey, this isn't right. Why are we all doing this? So you have a lot of people who are trying to get socialism moving forward. And that's where a lot of the labor rights that we have came from socialists. Because, I mean, it's like a polar opposite from capitalism. But, or one of, I guess, politics is a circle, not a line. (laughs) (laughs) It's insane. And I guess nowadays we have the anti-work movement and the great resignation. The anti-work movement being the Reddit labor movement reform. Their slogan is unemployment for all, not just the rich. <laughs> the wealth. I'm sure Rainer can probably explain disparity? it better than I can. Disparity? I don't know if that's the word I want. I looked it up recently. This is in the last couple of months. It's something like the top 300 richest people in the world could take something like 50% of their money go in the backyard and burn it in a bonfire and they would still be billionaires. The top 10 richest people, I think it's the top 10 or 11, could go out in the backyard and burn 99% of the money they have and they would still be billionaires. It just irks me. It just irks me. That's like, insane. I swear to God. And yet we're building spaceships that look like dildos to go to space. (laughs) I'm sitting there and I'm like, I can't stand the society. Yeah, we talked about this. That movie, Don't Look Up. Mm -hmm. I just feel like we're getting to that point, you guys. (laughs) Sometimes I feel like it's happening and I'm like... I mean, it is happening. It's not a meteor, but it's happening. It's not a meteor. It's it's disgusting. I mean, I don't want to shit on anyone who is able to work hard and get themselves from rags to riches. And I guess I just want to say that before I say what I'm about to say. If you work your ass off and you really are a rags to riches story, honestly, good for you. Did you say sorry? Story. Okay, eh? <laughs> Fuck you, man. <laughs> sorry, I mean, she eh? is from Vermont. I am from Vermont. <laughs> Fuck you. Um, (laughs) if you are just so, so, so rich and you're not using your money and you have more money than any of us will ever have, and you're not using your money to help people. And we are genuinely struggling. I mean, what was it during COVID? Was it like the richest 1% could literally have helped every single person who was struggling and not have hurted, hurt themselves at all? Hurted. (laughs) I'm from Vermont. There are more cows than people in Vermont. I don't have a good education. 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 I can't remember where I was reading, but I think it was in this book. She said something about the average wage over the last, what, 50 years has increased by like 12% or something. But CEOs, their their wage, not wages, but their worth worth. has risen by like over 800%. Mm -hmm. I mean, look at like Jeff Bezos. He's gotten richer during the pandemic. It's really hard not to, but I've just been trying to just not buy from Amazon. I hate him. I genuinely hate Jeff Bezos. So integrated (laughs) into all of our culture. It is not impossible at this point. I just try my best, like as best as I can. I think... Last time I went on Amazon, I bought stickers, and that was, like, for something (laughs) for food. (laughs) Because Target had a terrible selection of colors, and I was like, I don't want to use this, and I went on. The thing that sucks, too, because we talked about reading earlier. I buy a lot of books. I could go to Barnes & Noble or even a smaller, like, book retailer and buy a book for $25, or I could go on Amazon and buy that same book for, like, $16, and you could yeah. get it even cheaper if you buy it used on Amazon. Yeah, mm-hmm. So yeah. it's like... That's how Woody buys the fruit snacks that we get. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's really hard. Like, I buy stuff from Amazon. I don't I don't buy a ton. 
just because I'm kind of frugal as a person. But I do try to limit what I do buy from Amazon. The sad thing is if I spend 500 less dollars a year on Amazon, it's not going to make a difference. Yeah. yeah it's not. It's like climate change, for example. It's like you can take all these steps and help. It's not going to make a difference if just one person does it. And it's really fucking sad. I get really angry. Same. I'm getting kind of sad right now, to be really honest. I'm getting... <laughs> I'm not feeling so good inside. I'm just like, why is this world existing right now? <laughs> well, that's the whole thing of the anti-work movement is it just compares like the ridiculousness of the super rich and the expectations of employers with the lives of the ordinary and how we just perpetually suck up. Like I went on r slash anti-work last night to do a little research for this episode. And one of the things that they were posting recently was recruiters bitching about not getting thank you letters from potential employees it's like why should they thank you for doing an interview like that used to be a really old-fashioned thing and there was just being shit on a lot i don't know and then the, the great resignation started in the last half of last year everyone was quitting their jobs to find something better and fast food restaurants and normal slow food restaurants and retail minimum wage-esque jobs can't find anyone to work because no one wants to work for poverty wages. No one wants to work 40 plus hours a week yeah. and not make shit. It doesn't help with inflation either. Rent prices are just, they're climbing and it just sucks because how am I supposed to compete living in Denver where the minimum wage is, I mean, it's better compared to like Georgia, for instance. But things here are just so more expensive and the rent is insane here. And it's just, I mean, I remember when I was working at LaBelle, like we had a hard time finding people that would be able to work because a lot of people either thought it paid too little, even though you get paid minimum wage at LaBelle. And it's like $12 here, I believe. I could Minimum be wage in Georgia is still seven twenty-five, I believe. That is insane. It's nuts. When I first worked at LaBelle, I did not get paid 12 an hour, but then I did. And um, I just know that we had a hard time finding people that could work or could stay because a lot of people were like complaining like it's too low here or they just like didn't want to work. <laughs> like they didn't have time. It was really hard, which is insane because you would think that somebody would want to work at a small coffee shop. This is just something that's happened in the last year or so. And it sucks because... A lot of places are struggling and like when you go to like Taco Bell or something and you're waiting like 30 minutes in the drive-thru and you're like, what the hell is going on? It's because they're understaffed. And a lot of places are like that. Yeah. Nowadays, at least. I get really aggravated when people say, oh, it's just because people don't want to work. It's it's like you're missing the whole point of the issue. People don't want to work for shit money. People are either finding a place that values them more where they're getting paid better or they're getting better benefits or something or they're living off of credit which is a horrible decision i mean there are people still shit talking people in georgia for quote unquote living off the government unemployment stuff unemployment covid stuff stopped months ago yeah people are choosing mm -hmm. not to work because they're living off the government People are choosing not to work because they have a better option or they just don't want to fucking deal with it. Yeah. I don't know if we've officially transitioned into chapter three yet. We can oh. officially but transition. But we can do that. <laughs> I mean, it pretty much goes in hand in hand with what we've been talking about. Right. I think people are starting to wake up to this narrative they've been fed, which started all the way back at the Protestant Reformation with uh, Martin Luther. King? And Junior? Nope. Oh. <laughs> nope. Just Martin Luther. <laughs> and, and it's been perpetuated by big business corporation owners, CEOs, which is basically something that we talked about before, where work ethic is life. Mm -hmm. You know, work is a virtue. You have to work, work, work all the time. Work hard. And if you're ever not working, then you're a lazy piece of whatever. And I have felt this. I have kept this motto. I have live by this motto like when i was reading this chapter i was like this was me because i used to think if yeah if i work hard enough like this will all pay off in the end working like 40 hour freaking weeks no freaking day off no break no nothing i used to think that way and it sucks just 
flat out gonna say it. It sucks. It's not a great work. It's all a scam. It is. It is a scam. All it does is stress you out and make you angry. Yeah. I say that with my angry voice. <laughs> the American dream is a delusion. We collectively think that I feel like we're going to become a socialist podcast now. <laughs> a lot of people are, are going to be like, what the heck is in this book? <laughs> people are going to be like, wow, this kind of came out of nowhere. I don't know. It's just bringing out a lot of feelings, you guys. Okay. Yeah. And a lot of what we're saying is, a lot of things. is what's in the book. So mm-hmm. the American dream is a delusion. A lot of people believe falsely that they can go from rags to riches. Not very many people do. Some people do. I know a few people personally who have, and that's great and good for them, and they deserve it. But most of the time, you're born into more or less your socioeconomic class, and you just kind of flounder there until you die. It kind of... Remember when we were talking about the subtle art of not giving a fuck, and it's how, like, you're not special? Like, that kind of relates to that in a way. Like, only a few people that rags to riches story may happen for like the 1% or mm-hmm. like just tiny margin of people. It's kind of like the ultimate pyramid scheme, right? So yeah, like, it is. Yeah. Yes, there may be yeah. a few people who are able to achieve that top level, but mm-hmm. most people, it's never going to happen for them no matter how hard you work. She quotes four different studies and says that people, participants in these four studies vastly overestimate the likelihood of becoming wealthy. Every single person that study does, apparently, statistically speaking, you are just as likely to go from lower class to upper class as you are to get struck by lightning. Yeah. Which mm-hmm. is not very likely. Yeah, like you have under a 1% really. chance. <laughs> An aside here, I think y'all are on the same page with me here. I am not, and I don't think you guys are either saying that hard work, full stop, is bad. No. It's when... I am a hard worker becomes your identity and you work just for the sake of working with mm-hmm. no goal in mind or no, hey, I need to do this to accomplish this. Yeah. I think that's what we're talking about. Yeah. You should work hard if that's what you need to do to make ends meet. Like that's my problem with the anti-work movement is some people from that movement have made the whole movement look just like a complete fucking joke because you do have these people who work 10 hours a week walking dogs or something and they're like yeah man just don't work and in my opinion i could be wrong i don't think that's the point of movement like what you were saying earlier rainer i think it's modern day labor reform we've been talking about this four day work week thing since the 1950s we've been saying since the 1950s it says it in the book Yep. In the 1930s, it was predicted uh, that by 2030, we would work 14-hour work weeks. In 1965, the U.S. Senate said that by 2000, we would have 14-hour work weeks. And that's where that whole work no, ethic no, narrative no. got shoved down our throats, that you have to work, work, work all the time. What people started doing, according to what the book said, and it makes sense, is instead of taking the money they were making from working these, you know, factory jobs or whatever, better jobs, instead of using that to buy and supply what they need and then working fewer hours, they were just buying more stuff. Mm -hmm. You know, buy, buy, buy. It's it's your duty to work, work, work all the time and buy all the things to support America, the economy or the country or whatever. Yeah. I mean, it's false patriotism just to line the pockets of people like Jeff Bezos. And Mm -hmm. if you were a staunch staunch is it staunch is the word i'm looking for supporter of jeff bezos like that's fine i guess it's not just jeff bezos he's kind of the scapegoat of the one percent but you can also look at elon musk and all these other rich cats and their rich houses and their rich yachts and not worrying about the pandemic and we are driven by greed That's the problem. We are driven by greed. We Mm -hmm. just want more. We need more. And the thing is, is that these predictions are completely based in math and science. Like they were worked out by mathematicians. And the thing that they didn't account for is that people would want more. They're like, yeah, you know, if we take the current labor that we have now and maybe accounting for population growth, it equals this set product that we have now. And if we take advancements in technology... We can have the same output in X amount of years and have less work. 
But the thing is, is no one was content with working less. People wanted more. People saw more potential. And that was the problem with the Industrial Revolution. We saw the potential of, oh, more money. Money, money, money. It's like in cartoons when they get the dollar signs. (laughs) That's what everyone got. (laughs) When time became money, people felt bad about not spending their time to make money. And so they stopped doing, they stopped doing leisure for the sake of leisure right. just because they enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. They started feeling bad, like crap, I could be making money right now. So I better go back to work. Yeah. And yeah. now we are just all filled with anxiety and we can't enjoy our time off because we want to work more because we want to earn more. <sighs> it's just messed up. I will say that I really started this book not really enjoying it. Like I said earlier, the intro kind of put me off, but the more I read it, I'm like, oh, wait, this is a audio medium. I was making a face. (laughs) I was like, wow. She did her work. She presents a lot of information that's very backed up in science and studies. I'm really excited for the rest of the book. I want to see how we can come from being angry that we're being overworked and how to be less overworked. To back up just a little bit and then go off on a bit of a tangent. You guys hear about, this was several weeks ago, I guess, Jeff Bezos, 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 whatever it is. I hear it interchangeably. The bridge, the bridge in Rotterdam. Wait. Oh, that makes me. There was this historic bridge and he was trying to get his super yacht through this canal. Did you just say super yacht? I'm already over the story. And it wouldn't fit. So he was trying to petition the government to tear down this historic bridge so that he could squeeze his super yacht through there and get to wherever he was going. Leave it and to a man to try to fit something where it won't fit. Yeah. First yeah, they off. They basically gave him the double bird and was like, it's not happening. Is the yacht being built in the Netherlands and he like needs it to go out to the ocean or something like that? I'm not sure. I just I know have no it was idea so either. huge it couldn't fit where he wanted to go That's because of the said. bridge. Which is ridiculous because, like, yeah. why do you need a boat that freaking big? You yeah. don't need a boat that freaking big for just yourself. Well, and it's your... also, like, why, if your boat is this big, is it really that hard for you to follow the size requirements of where the boat's going to be? But I'm just Bezos. I want to do what I want to do, and I want to do it right now. Oh, my God. What a he big... literally... Well, I think they passed Ugh. it, right? Like they let him they're letting him do that. Oh, last hour they? they gave him the big They said no the big finger and said, Ooh. No, we're not doing this. I'm looking it up. I don't I don't know yeah, if they I changed their mind since then. Jeff Bezos Bridge. Oh yacht. Okay, here we go. <laughs> Thousands of protesters are signing up to egg his yacht. <laughs> well, that's funny. Actually, it's not just thousands of protesters. It's like collectively the Dutch have vowed to egg the yacht if the thing passes. Yeah, that's on NPR. Like, I'm looking at an yeah. article on so NPR. You know it's real. Okay, so according <laughs> to the BBC, it says that the bridge is being dismantled. It, it, oh my God. That is just so that shitty. That's the biggest bummer. I, why? Like, you know? I'm going to try not to let it, but that might have just like ruined my day to hear that. That's my problem with a lot of these super top 1%. And again, I don't want to be one of those people, but looking from the outside in, it seems like all they care about Eat is the themselves. Rich. Yes. Eat the rich. Mm-hmm. Thanks, Jello Biafra. <laughs> it's just, uh, it's so annoying. Well, I guess we can segue off of being angry and hope that the rest of this book doesn't make us as angry. But thank you for joining us, Rainer. Thanks for having me. I guess me. we never introduced you. We never interviewed. <laughs> <laughs> I've been on before. I'm sure people, like, I recognize that You voice. just dove right into it. Is there anything you, that you yeah. would like to plug? No, but I'm so close to having something to plug. It's, like, so close. So maybe next time. Okay, cool. All right, so stay tuned. Stay tuned. <laughs> yeah. All right, well, we'll see you next week with the next three chapters. And in the meantime, I guess do nothing, like the book. Do nothing. But if you want to do something, you can follow us on Instagram at Fiddle and Pipe, or you can follow our personal pages. I'm at Cat Flinch Flute. And I'm at BM Ross Music. And if you want to do a little bit of something extra, you can always join us on Patreon at patreon.com slash fiddle and pipe for a small monthly donation, which we will use to buy books like Do Nothing and recording equipment. We will mm-hmm. post, uh, I was about to say spoilers, bloopers. <laughs> and our extra happy hour episode, which I am 
currently editing and will be up shortly. As a Patreon member, I can say it's totally worth it. You should totally do it. Yeah, and we'll shout you out in every episode. Rainer's the bee's knees. Yeah. That's meow. (laughs) (laughs) If you want to rate us, please go on one of your streaming platforms that you use. If you're able to rate, I know Spotify, you're able to rate it. On Apple Podcasts, you can give us a review, so make sure that you write a review for us. We would love to see what you guys think about the podcast. Next Monday on March 7th, we have a concert at Regis University. If you're in Denver, Colorado, my group, the Nebula Ensemble, will be performing a masterclass earlier that afternoon and then we're doing a concert we're playing some really neat music our theme is called out of lockdown so we're playing a lot of pieces that are reflecting covid times which is really neat so mm-hmm. i'll put the link in the description where to find tickets and if you're in colorado um come check us out so yeah all right, all right. well we will see you all next week bye bye, 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 bye.